Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Today, we will play Danny Fetanti, his interview with about the Amazon labor failure in Alabama, but he'll, he'll explain why. But beforehand, let me get to the boards. Michael Rudden says, Kamala Harris, for years and generations, wars have been fought over oil. In a short matter of time, they will be fought over water. Saying the quiet part out loud, our foreign policy has been absolutely consistent for decades, always about strategic interests and resources, never about spreading democracy or any other such sloganeering. That is so true. Who's, did Kamala Harris say that? Uh, let's see. I, I, I got to read that. Second one, FDA, Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine pause is recommendation, not a mandate. J&J said in a statement Tuesday that it was aware of the reports of blood clots, but that no official link to its vaccine had been established. Extremely rare, on par with your risk of getting stuck by, struck by lightning. Vaccine injuries are rare. One out of every 500,000 doses distributed in the United States has an injury petition. And interestingly, that rate is six, we've we've done 6 million Johnson and Johnson vaccines we've had six people that have developed blood clots here's the thing statistically speaking i don't know i i, I don't ever take the side of drug companies etc but i take the side of science i don't know if statistically speaking we can attribute if 6 million people took the vaccine and our 6 million people and six people died uh, how do we go with stati- statistics when you know we have things like um, other people who take other things and die? Eat, eat sugar. What percentage of people develop something that caused them to die within weeks? I don't know. Um, I guess what I'm trying to get here is from a mathematical standpoint. I think the danger of of of, of creating doubt in a vaccine. Because six people develop blood clots, one died, but we don't really know that we can attribute that to the vaccine proper or to some other incident. I think, I I I, I think it's dangerous what what they're doing. I, I I think I disagree with the Biden administration here. From a scientific point of view, that number that those people could have gotten blood clots from many other things unrelated to the vaccine. If you have 6 million people and every one of those 6 million people got a vaccine, of those 6 million people, irrespective of having gotten a vaccine, there's a good probability they would have developed clots or something, some disease anyway. And I think, uh, so. I am sorry, I, I, I am still trying to figure out the rationale with which they made the decision to come out this way. I think it does more damage in the long run then it really helps. And talking about it's transparent, well, I mean, uh, how many people would have died of other things of those 6 million people who took the vaccine? How many people died because of a diabetic re- reaction? Was that caused by the vaccine? I don't know. But I think, again, uh, this, this part, I don't know that it is good science. Welcome aboard, Paul Fleming, Jessica Taylor. Hello, Eric Hayes. One person died. Yes, I read that one person did die. Again, we don't know if that has anything to do with the vaccine. But thanks for telling me that, Eric. Michael Rudnick, for many decades and generations, war have been fought over water. 
LA Water District has been stealing water for nearly a century. Yeah, and they've been a lot of people have been stealing Colorado water, right? You know, they they own rights to water in Colorado and 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 many more. Okay, what is the mathematical COVID rate is and mortality too? The development of blood clots for getting coronavirus is 15.6%. I looked it up because I knew somebody would have asked that today. So uh, if you get coronavirus, there's a 16.5% chance that you're going to develop blood clots. In other words, for every 100 people that get coronavirus, 16.5% of them will have blood clots. And I can attest to that on my, with respect to my cousin. My cousin, who is a det- was a detective in, Cal- in New York, he just retired last this year. Um, he got coronavirus, and he got blood clots, a stroke, and some other damage to organs caused likely by these blood clots. So I, I know the coronavirus is very, very dangerous. Michael Rodney, that was E2247, not me, but agreed. Thank you f- for making the correction, sir. Thank you for making the correction. Jessica Taylor, Johnson & Johnson has already faced hesitancy because of its inef- of efficiency. So now they're trying to find an excuse to remove it. And interestingly, that efficiency for, you know, we want to compare apples and apples, oranges and oranges. What happens is the, the, the landscape under which Johnson Johnson was tested was different than the landscape under which uh, Moderna and uh, Pfizer were tested, right? In other words, different disease uh, different disease components were out there depending on which one was tested. So we don't have a clean test on it. And the, the one, one thing that I do have to say is that the technology used by Moderna and Pfizer, because it's using RNA technology where it's building the, these spike proteins themselves, having nothing to do with the old form of making vaccines, uh, it's, we'll see about durability, but it seems like these are going to be in the long run more effective and almost designer-type deals that can create responses to drugs rather quickly. I, I saw that on 60 Minutes this Sunday. Anybody need to see 60 Minutes? It's an important thing to watch on 60 Minutes. And there was another thing I wanted to cover on 60 Minutes that I can't remember right off the top of the head, but it got me pretty darn upset uh, watching it. Maybe I'll look for it after I play the other video. Uh, Candice uh, Sheik Nader, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Sunday from Europe, Africa, where over 32 million doses were given. Only 222 cases reported with issues. Studies show that it was linked to low blood platelet count. U.S. has given over 6 million J&J and only 6 cases reported. And, you know, interestingly, the one thing that uh, Fauci said is one of the reasons they do have the pause is they want people to know that if the, the type of clots that develop isn't don't don't get solved by using the standard blood clotting methodologies. So therefore, it really means that what they have to use is some other type of 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 um of clot mitigation techniques. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so but you know that that's pretty much what they said. Michael Rodden says Iowa reports 590,000 people vaccinated, zero additional COVID-19 deaths. Yes, true. Bridge MCP. Hey y'all. Hey Bridge. Michael Rodinson, Ohio Department of Health, no death reported from those who have fully received COVID-19 vaccination. Michael Rodinson says, it works. Israel has zero COVID deaths in major study after vaccine rollout. An Israeli study of 523,000 people who received both doses of Pfizer coronavirus vaccine has found there have been zero subsequent deaths according to a report. We're in 300 million 
already purchases of the other vaccine? I think it was. I think so. Uh, I think you're right, Eric. Michael Rodnan says, I can post multiple articles about locales where there have been zero COVID deaths among people who have been vaccinated. Be free. I think it's it's always good to have that sort of information. But HMCP says, this just gives more ammo to the people who won't take it and also saying, well, it's not FDA approved. You know, uh, you're right, Bridge. A lot of people are going to say that. Uh, we don't we need to be those that are encouraging them. I'm encouraging all people to take. I, You and I, we by experience, and all those, I think Michael Rodnan had it as well. I, I know that um, uh, my, my brother uh, has it. Roberto Lewis took the vaccine. Norman Reynolds took the vaccine. We're all vaccinated. In fact, I went and visited. Uh, we met uh, halfway with Roberto Lewis to exchange some Panamanian foods. Okay, Michael Rodney says, I've always seen a few of those posts in my feed. Michael Rodney says, uh, let's see. Eric Hayes says, why are many take, Why are not many taking letting others be the experiment? Yeah, a lot of people are doing that. You're right. A lot of people say, I'm going to wait for a lot of other people to take the vaccine and then I'll take it. And to be honest with you, uh, to some extent, I think most people, or not most, but a lot of people think that way. Let's see what happens when all those other people take the vaccine. You know, so I mean, there's some truth to that. Uh, let's see what else. Okay, let's go ahead and get busy. What is the show going to be about? Why Amazon unionization failed? Why did Amazon unionization fail? Police assault on POCs deconstructed and GOP voter fraud. And I, I need to talk about the GOP voter fraud first, okay? And then I'll move on. But uh, th- this is uh, this is simply amazing. I, I want to go ahead and get I- – I thought I had it up, but I-, I had an error in my file. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring it up on the screen right here if I can find it. Because it was written by a friend of mine, a, a journalist out of Waco, Texas, but he's now living in Colorado. And this is what he wrote. Uh, he had a title of his, his um, piece called, come on, Forward the GOP White Brigade. That's what he called the piece. Then he said, half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death rode the 10,000 forward of White Brigade. Apologies to Alfred Lord Tennyson, but a certain fool of self-Republican in Texas has made the appropriation too easy. Last week, the Washington Post shared a video and I'll show you the video afterwards of an unidentified GOP official calling for 10,000 volunteers to brave the darker reaches of urban Houston to find and fight voter fraud. Sounding like a Trumpian brigader, Eric, he exhorts the troops saying that to brave a harrowing urban center frequented by a varied people of color call for confidence and courage. You see, he says, this is where the fraud is occurring. Courage, courage. Might this also be where the voter intimidation will be once the GOP army besets heavily minority precincts? (coughs) You see, Texas and all these places are passing laws that allow the private citizenry to run into these precincts with cameras and challenge every vote. They want to make voting a fighting hell. Because they want to come into those people's neighborhoods and see, can you really vote? It would be, uh, you know, I tell you what, uh, and if you want to see a piece of the video, this is a piece of the video here that uh, the Washington Post put out there. Let me get that, that, uh, 
that commercial. I don't want to get the commercial plane, but I don't think I can get around the commercial. Let's see. So after the commercial play, I'll show you. But here's the deal, brothers and sisters. The, the goal of these guys, right? They don't think that those, those here it is, Let, let's go. Now is that if, if our attorney general who has the power to prosecute election integrity cases does not prosecute the, the, those that are violating election code will continue to break it. And Alan Vera, through a lot of the, the judges and poll workers from November, uh, have identified uh, at least, I think, 15 cases of fraud and have reported some, many cases. We've got witness affidavits. Uh, affidavits. We're really, we're, we're going to recruit and train and assign a very large, when I say large, you're gonna, it's 10,000. We're trying to build an army here of 10,000 people in Harris County that are motivated and, and highly competent folks to serve as election workers and poll watchers and to basically safeguard you know, our, our voting rights and our voting obligations. So I, I'm trying to get, you know, encourage and recruit as a precinct chair about 30 people in my precinct that will have the confidence and, and, and courage to come down in here in these areas where we really need um, poll workers because this is where the fraud is occur occurring, right? So me finding poll work watchers out here is not, it helps, yeah, but it's a pretty safe uh, precinct. We've got to get folks in, in, in these suburbs out here that have, um, you know, a lot of Republican folks that got to have the courage. If we don't do that, you know, this fraud down in here is really going to continue. You know, judges that, hey, Bill, I'm willing to do my precinct or the precincts around me, but I'm really not going to go down to um, you know, Wheeler Baptist Church to be a, a judge. So this contingency really gives us a little bit more freedom and flexibility in scheduling. Let me explain what, just, what you just heard there, folks. Uh, if you notice, he mentioned Wheeler Baptist Church. That is one of the biggest black Baptist churches in Harris County, in, in, in Houston. And what they want to do is Houston is the largest county in the state of Texas. It is a bellwether county because it sort of reflects the entire United States. And it trended blue and turned completely blue over the last two elections. Lina Hidalgo is now the most powerful woman, a 29-year-old, most powerful woman in Harris County. And has handled all our natural disasters, including COVID, better than our governor did. She has been much more intellectual than our governor has. She has been much more scientific than the entire Republican Party has. And what they are trying to do now is they are trying to create 10,000 people, bring 10,000 people to go all through this large county and work at polls, watching. They have the state that is trying to create laws that allow these people to harass voters because they can't win as people get smarter. As people get smarter, they unenslave themselves. And they can't take it. So now, they are trying to go in. And all the neighborhoods that you saw him circling, they're all Latino or black neighborhoods. So in other words, if you're black or Latino, there's, and, and your precinct coming out to vote, more than likely there's voter fraud. But in the other neighborhoods, where we have found voter fraud, by the way, 
Remember, in Texas, very few voter frauds have been found, and around the country. And every time you found voter fraud, it's generally Republican voter fraud. If you doubt it, ask the Pennsylvania uh, lieutenant governor who had a bet with our lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick offered $25 million for anyone who would come, meaning in, in million-dollar increments, for everyone who would find occurrences of voter fraud. You know what he got? A big zero, a big goose egg. But in Pennsylvania, the lieutenant governor found three instances, it's very small, three instances of voter fraud. And guess what? It was Trump voters attempting to vote several times. So, it, you know, when we talk about Republican projection, we are not, it, it's not even a caricature. It's real. And now they're talking about sending 10,000 people in to stop voter fraud in these black and Latino neighborhoods. These black and Latino neighborhoods, they don't want to have anything to do with, with the cops. They don't want to have anything to do with the legal system because they know what happens when they get into the legal system. Uh, does Floyd, George Floyd ring a bell? Does uh, Dante Wright ring a bell? I mean, it just keeps happening. Does uh, Mauricio, what, what is it, the Afro-Latino? Anyway, we have to recall these things. But anyhow, the, so the show today, we're going to talk about all of this. The show today now is about, I want to play this piece from Brittany, uh, Brittany Pankett Cunningham. She hit the nail on the head, and then we'll move on from there. In one of the most passionate, truthful, fact-based uh, articulation, Brittany Packnett Cunningham gets this systemic policing problem. She hits the nail on the head. Listen to this and we'll take it on the other side. Very clear that this is fully systemic and to quote Phil, that this is about the entire house. I find that in far too many places outside of Ithaca, New York and a couple of other corners of this country, we're not making the kind of progress that we deserve because we're not having the right conversation. Chris, if you ran a company and you hired an outside contracting firm to come and help you solve problems, and they came in and they did their job, and when they did their job, they didn't solve most of the problems, they didn't prevent the problems from happening, and in fact, they caused new problems of their own, and they caused those problems incredibly severely against certain people who work for and with you, who were your neighbors, people that you loved. And then they came back to you at the end of that year and they said, pay us more money. And in fact, don't just pay us more money. Make sure that the people that we cause the most harm to help pay the bill. You would laugh them out of the room because in this country that is built on a violent capitalism that is most often defended by the very people who still tell us to back the blue, that would be a laughable premise. And yet, we continue to increase police budgets every single year. Only 46% of violent crimes are actually solved by police. Only 18% of property crimes are actually solved by police. Why are we giving them a raise? And every single day, we are forcing Black Americans, whether we want to or not, to invest in institutional projects that are built based on how effectively they express violence against our bodies, our minds, and our families. And then this country has the audacity 
and the unmitigated gall to turn around and demand that we are patient, that we are understanding, and that we try reforms that haven't worked time and again. It is insulting, and let's be very clear, for Dante Wright, it is deadly. Time up. Time up. Uh, it is clear that we are not paying these guys on performance. She gave the numbers that, that shows they are very ineffective. They increase their budgets every year. When we talk about defunding the police, what we're talking about is fund them no more. Don't be giving them additional funds to decimate the bodies of POCs. Why would we be doing that? Which is what exactly we're doing. We're constantly paying them more to hurt a particular group of people. The only reason we're seeing this now is that, that the, of the ubiquity of video, the ubiquity of recording devices. This is not new, but we're seeing it now. And the fact of the matter is, America is paying an army, a police force, that has the bird's eye, that has the crosshairs on people who look a certain way. It is time to end it. And it is time, first of all, for the, these reforms that we're talking about, it's more than monetary. It's more than defunding or removing funds. It is also holding them legally accountable by removing immunity so that when they murder somebody that, did, that was undeserving of being shot, that they themselves are treated like the murderers that they are. Absolutely so. Absolutely so. Um, I, I, I want to go off on a quick tangent here because I remember what I was talking about with 60 Minutes. You know, everybody likes to talk about the free market and the capitalism, etc. And I always talk about the corporations are nothing more than parasites because they don't really take risks. You know, they got mad because you remember when uh, you got a student loan. Uh, you got a student loan. Guess what? The government backed the student loan. So if you didn't pay it back the bank who loaned you the student loan, they would then go to the to the government and say, hey, John Peter didn't pay for the student loan, so government pay up. In other words, the government insured the loan that the bank made to you. What was the bank's job? That was free money to the bank. He was taking no risks. He was collecting interest, and if you default, the government makes him whole. So when Obama said, why are we doing that? If, if the person defaults on the loan, we got to pay anyway. So why do we give the money to the bank so the bank give it to the people? Uh, you know, it makes no sense. And then the bank charges interest. It makes absolutely no sense. Why don't we give it directly to the student? And that's what was included in the Obamacare bill. The banks went crazy. Oh, socialism. Well, that's the kind of socialism I love. Not giving my money to you. The bank wanted socialism for themselves. Another thing as well. Uh, when it turns out that right now, you heard about Moderna. You hear about all these great RNA deals, right? These RNA things that allows us to build all these nice drugs quickly. And pump us, these companies come out and like, we had something to do with it. They don't tell you it was all funded by DARPA. We funded all that development and they brought it to fruition. They don't take risks. As they, they, they talk about the reason why we have drug prices high, the reason why we have these other things high is because we take the risk and only one in X amount of drugs really make it. BS. 
B to the S. We invest in those drugs, the American people. And when they make the profits, they suck us with the bill to make more profits for the execs. And we don't get any money back as the original investors into the project that they take to completion after they know it has a good likelihood of succeeded. succeeding. That is corporate socialism. So I just thought you might know that. Anyhow, let's go ahead and listen to Brother uh, Danny Fetanti as to why it was that the unionization of Amazon in Alabama failed. Let's go ahead and talk about that and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. This one we are doing live. As you guys know what has happened in Alabama, we were supposed to have a new union in Alabama for the Amazon uh, workplaces. It didn't happen. There are various reasons why it didn't happen. So my thoughts were, how can I find out exactly what's happening in the psyche of people that would have them not see the necessity when going up against companies like Amazon that, in fact, we do need a union. How best to answer these questions than to speak to a former uh, union head? Today, we are honored to have Danny Fetanti. Danny Fetanti, welcome to Politics Done Right Special. How are you doing today, sir? Let me ask you something, Danny. Tell, tell, tell our audience a little bit about you before we get into the subject. Well, I was a labor organizer for 34 years. Um, I started organizing in Tupelo, Mississippi. I was uh, in a training program by the Industrial Union Department and um, where we got uh, multiple trainings by experienced organizers. And um, the Industrial Union Department invested in uh, developing three years of organizers that worked on the field with diff- with uh, campaigns. And we tried to do everything the right way. So for example, uh, we emphasize gathering up information before you have an open campaign. So you know everything about the workforce and that you know who the, the uh, social leaders are in every group. In the South, especially Mississippi, it was important to to pay attention to race relations so that you involved whites and blacks, no matter what the ratio was, you had to have folks from both groups on your organizing committee. And then build an organizing committee where the major form of communication with workers was through the organizing committees talking to people in their departments. Uh, my first campaign, when I met with uh, a group of workers who had been involved in two previous losing campaigns, I sat down with folks and they were all white. And I knew the plant was about 40% black. I said, we're the African-American workers. And they said, well, this is our organizing committee we've had for the last two campaigns. And I explained, you lost both campaigns. So I want representatives, the most respected black workers from each department to show up at our next committee meeting. And they said, well, this is the way we've always done it. I said, well, we're not doing a campaign unless we have representatives from uh, all the groups. They said, well, why don't you go get them? And I said, no, they don't worry whether I want them at the meeting. They're going to worry whether you have to go to your co-workers who are the most respected. After debate a little bit, they finally agreed to it. And our next committee meeting, we had people, um, 
a strong multiracial organizing committee. Now, let me ask you this, Danny. Um, when, when this unionization effort started in Alabama and we had the likes of Bernie Sanders going down to the, going down to the, uh, to the plant to try to convince these people that, uh, that w that's in the best interest of, uh, of the workers. Likewise, we had Biden giving them sort of a tacit support uh, encouraging unionizations. Uh, what, how could a program fail and not only, or, or fail, but not only fail, but fail as badly as it did in, in Alabama? What is the genesis of, of the issue out there? Having speakers, and I I've, have a very high the campaign, um, every time you bring in uh, VIPs, and have them do something, uh, you're emphasizing that the union is an outside force. People uh. talking to people instead of people on the inside doing the work. We went to Bessemer, uh, Barbara and I, a week before the election. And um, we uh, went to the plant gate. And when you drove up to the plant gate, there was tons of yards set off an alarm bell. If you're doing yard signs on a highway to telling people to vote union, there's something wrong with the communication. The communication should be between respected workers on the inside and their coworkers. And if you have to put yard signs outside, there's something missing in the campaign and we weren't sure of it. So we talked to the one person who was at the plant gate with a sign saying vote union. The person wasn't a worker, didn't know what the issues were. And it was sort of like signs are gonna make people. The emphasis of that campaign was they had another great person, Reverend Barber. He did a rally and these are uh, him and Bernie are wonderful people. The, the fact that the PR department of the union was seemed to be making the decisions instead of field organizers was an indication that there was something off in this campaign. What I found out was when the union filed the petition, they thought there was 1,500 workers in the plant instead of over 5,000. Now, if you file a campaign and you don't even know what the workforce is, there's a serious problem. And the fact that the into the media about this, you don't want to do that in a campaign. You really have to do the work. And what, what the problem is, is many of our unions are not investing in long-term field organizing and campaigns. With that kind of plant, they should have been doing work for two or three years, developing their contacts so that the most respected workers on the inside decided to go with the union. One of the other things that's confusing is people think that because there's not a union, that workplaces are not organized. And that's just false. Workplaces have tons of social organization, everything from prayer groups at lunch to bowling teams to young guys who like to go out and get drunk. And there's a whole group of social groups there. You've got to understand that. And if you spend the time, and in a plant like that, if we had spent the time working with the people in the plant, um, my understanding, it's, uh, it's written up in an article in the, the Nation, which I thought was very good by uh, McIlvaney, um, that the majority of the contact between workers and the union was done at the stoplight. People were spending all their time trying to talk to people when they stopped. If we're doing that kind of work, I'm not saying you never do leaflets 
and do stuff at the plant gate. But it, uh, they did zero home visiting. And one of the things I was trained in, if you don't do home visiting, you lost the campaign. Are you telling me then that, uh, that there's a good likelihood, because for everything that you're explaining so far and what you're saying has happened in Alabama, are you telling me that this may not have been something that happened organically, but really it may have been an external force trying to use this as a test template and they did it in a very wrong way? In other words, they didn't make sure to get the right plant, the right, for lack of a better term, virus inside of the buildings with the workers that are actually there? Absolutely. That um, most workers would rather be in an organization that improves their their working conditions and uh, is a force to stand up for their rights. I mean, there were real issues there, like the way they dehumanize people about them being able to take bathroom breaks. Right. Um, the way they they had the the work sped up so fast that it literally broke down people. Right. Um, that that people in that situation would would want to change the thing, but they have to feel a confidence in the organization that's doing it. And when the organization takes shortcuts, and this might not have been the fault of the actual field organizer that was on the ground, maybe he wanted to do more work, but the union wanted a quick victory and a public victory and as a result, we, the union took shortcuts. And at that point, real social leaders back away from the union and then voters. So there was a lot of pro-union uh, workers there that in my estimation did not vote or even some of them voted against the union because they didn't think that the, the union drive was right. Now, when you file an election for a group of workers and you're so far off on the estimate of the number of workers, where the union thought there was 1,500 workers and there was over 5,000, the union should not have kept on going. What they did was run around and try to pick up more cards to meet the minimum threshold. The way the industrial union department, the AFL-CIO, which is no longer funded, by the way, uh, it had a very good program in Mississippi and North Carolina of doing long-term serious organizing and budget cuts, cut back on all of that stuff. And I think unions are making a mistake when you have accountants and public relations people making decisions instead of... To some extent, you are making the case for many as far as the, 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 the union needs to make structural changes before it actually becomes a force. It almost seems like the union became... Uh, the, 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 not the anti-corporation, but a corporation within its own right. The last thing that you should cut when there's, there's hard times in budgets, and a bunch of the union uh, family communication workers, the technology, when you move from, uh, five, when you move to fiber cable from copper cable, needed drastically a, a smaller number of workers. Uh, a whole lot less workers. And when you close down a lot of manufacturing, that has an impact on the budget. The problem is when you're sitting down the organizing departments and then expect to somehow find a way to organize by having somebody who's very good at PR of rounding up progressives 
who I think were wonderful in volunteering to do that. You're making a serious budgetary and a serious political mistake within the organizations. And, and the workers should not be put through a, a campaign unless we're doing everything we can the right way. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna lose campaigns. The other thing that's going on in the press is just talking about how terrible the company was. I mean, we should be clear on this, that companies are not pro-union. If they are, they wouldn't force an election. They would do voluntary recognition, which a number of companies are finally doing with the labor movement. Not a lot, but a, a, a decent number. The anti-union activity is gonna go on. There is a standard playbook, which they did there, um, which is not nice, which tries to squeeze people, that organizing has changed over the last 50 years. Years ago, they used to use thugs to beat organizers and to intimidate workers. Nowadays, they have psychologists, management experts in knowing how to pit workers against each other. To They do a, a grid on workers and rate them one, two, and three. Um, as far as the workers who are so pro-union, just leave alone. Uh, the workers that are going to go with the company no matter what, and the workers that they have to concentrate on. We did a campaign in the early days of mobile systems in St. Louis, and we had a ratings of people by one, two, three, and somehow we got a hold of the ratings that the companies had, that they either dropped it in the parking lot or somebody was related to somebody I don't even know how we got it, but the ratings were almost identical. What the company had rated and what we had rated was almost identical. That's what you, you, you start with once you have a public campaign. So the trick is don't go public. Spend the time organizing before there is a campaign. The campaign should only be there to, to validate your strength. The other dynamic is that in a, organizing in the correct way, you spend a ton of time with workers telling them exactly what the company is going to, to do and discussing the issues they're going to raise and you do it first. So what I would do is gather up all of, and I, and I did campaigns for the steel workers, the International Union of Electrical Workers and the communication workers. I would gather up all of the instances of union corruption, and I would do a session with the committee and handouts where they were supposed to go to all of the workers and talk about the corruption. Now, what was good in most of the unions was the union corruption was identified, and so we would go through that. When the company tried to attack you on the union corruption, it went nowhere. We had already discussed it. On union dues, the company was talk, spent a whole lot of time on talking on union dues. That's, that should not be a surprise to the union. And what I would do is take what I was trained in. So it wasn't just me, but it was uh, training by experienced organizers. We do a whole session on the dues. We would, do, we would print out the salaries of union officials and have a discussion of the money, where it went, and how it was used. If you do that in your organizing committee members and your most respected workers, where they have something to talk about. Uh, in this campaign, 
the company raised the question of union dues and the union organized an internet battle between people all over the country sending in messages to Amazon arguing over the dues question. And in fact, finally, the union, the union said to them in a right to work state, you don't have to pay union dues, which is like crazy. Um, you're organizing to get workers to have real power. And you don't tell people money is a form of power. Organization is a form of power. And numbers is a form of power. You don't tell people, oh, no, you don't have to give any money. Just vote for the union and some other officials will do will fight for you. We're not interested in other people fighting for us. When you do organizing, you're interested in workers themselves doing so. Let me just say, I think that is, that is important for people to understand. Because, again, what I'm hearing from you, uh, sadly, the unions have adapted the same culture almost as the corporate elite in, in some of what you're saying, not placing its money into organizers, but placing its money into P PR. Unfortunately, what's being sold by corporations in general, PR can make wanted, while PR for workers has a, almost an inverse property. That is a conclusion that you could come to by listening to me. I don't want to be that negative. There is literally many unions and many people in unions trying to do the right thing, but are facing real challenges um, with a lack of funding. I, am, I, I want to interrupt you for one reason, because you, I think what okay. you just said is very important. I think what you just said is very important. My intent was not to mask all unions with the statements that you're making okay but right. to ma and you're correct and I, I i thank you for calling that out because that is i am a strong union supporter but we have to call out no, i know you are. right we have to call out when the unions fail just like you mentioned in your past narrative you you put out when you're starting to organize a new place you put out a list of all the ills that the unions have done so that it cannot be used as a hammer by the corporation when they're trying to say, look at what the unions have done here. I mean, just as well, we could say, look at what the corporations have done here. Actually, right. isn't it true that the Chamber of Commerce is just a union for corporations? Isn't it true that the Metallurgical Association is just a union for metal comp companies who, uh, who have metal interests? So I mean, yeah. uh, why is it that the American workers, the only thing that folks don't want to get organized? And you can continue there, Danny. There was a a call center in Austin and it was the under the name of AT&T Wireless this was before Southwestern Bell bought AT&T Wireless and it was actually owned by the Japanese telephone company and they were paying for the logo of AT&T and people were having one hell of a time trying to get them organized by all sorts of methods so we did something that they had done in the 30s. We recruited young people to get jobs there. Uh, both of my sons and my nephew went and applied there. Two of them got hired and they got a bunch of their friends hired and other kids hired. And we built an underground organization within this thousand person call center for five years. Now I had people above me saying, what the hell, it's taking so long. I mean, that was not the only thing I was working on, but there was... There was enough support for organizing that said, leave him alone, let him do 
the thing. And we, we built a whole organization in that workforce over five years and that we we're, were strong enough to come open. And then Southwestern Bell bought AT&T and we were, were allowed to use CarCheck and we were the biggest call center, biggest large call center organized in the country in a very short period of time. The other one was in Jackson, Mississippi, where people been doing some serious organizing. Well, no, there's other examples of where people have done meticulous long-term campaigns. But in this campaign, we were talking about a big victory way before the election. It made me extremely uncomfortable. I hoped that we had a big victory, but none of the signs were. I work for the Industrial Union Department of the AFL-CIO. They sent a person undercover to go through a training by Modern Meths Management, which was uh, the biggest union busting firm. And they got their manual and they went through the whole training. And then they came back and did a training for um, the field organizers. So we were trained in how to break a union. And that kind of training and investment in field organizers, just, I, I think it's being done very little at this point. And if we're going to turn around the labor movement, there has to be a serious investment in training of the fundamentals. The internet is not going to organize workers. Right. Uh, and I and I'm a little bit of a caveman when it comes to the internet. And so I don't. And so sometimes I don't have the credibility to argue against it. But the idea that you can send out messages on the inter- internet and expect you're going to win things. It goes against the the fundamentals of of unions is workers collectively are faced with collective problems. They try to do collective efforts to win collective solutions. I think that is so important what you just said, because a lot of people think that the, uh, and in fact, I think uh, the, the union, the union and, and, and what we also call the, the, the uh, what kind of economy do we call it now? The go economy or the gig economy. I think it gives people a false sense of uh, what a lot of you did in, in the past on organizing and not realizing that, yes, the union can be, the, the internet can be an assistance to helping uh, the union, but it's not a replacement for flesh to flesh contact. It's not a replacement for having true relationships because true relationships is what people trust. Danny, I don't have much time left, so I want to ask you one okay. specific question. Please uh, explain to folks exactly what is card check. Card check is a process where the majority of people sign authorization cards that say they want to be represented by the union. You have an agreement from the employer that they will accept when a majority of the people sign the cards. We had an agreement with Southwestern Bell that it took a hard fight. It took uh, five years to win it where the employees had the right to get to win recognition. Now we had a clause in it that the date did not start until the earliest card we signed. So we would sign up cards before anybody knew that we were doing it before there was an anti-union campaign and then deliver it to the company. Um, And we had two months to do it. Uh, The one card had to be two months within the other one. So these are um, these are cards for every employee that comes from the federal government, pretty much. No, we designed our own cards, but it's uh, it, it when you get the recognition, it it is a voluntary recognition. The company chooses to not fight uh, the union. 
and we were able to win it with Southwestern Bell at the time because we put a tremendous amount of pressure. It was during the 80s when there was a lot of deregulation. Now, um, now what do they mean then, Danny, when they talk about the, the card check legislation? Exactly what was the card check legislation? If we could get card check legislation, it would allow uh, workers to be recognized by signing up the majority without ever having an election. Uh, you wouldn't need an election. The company would accept that. And there have been attempts at getting that through on the federal level. It has hit a brick wall because it's a very powerful thing. Right, because uh, you, you, you have of a, the workers. You have a, a, an eternity to, to, to sign up up to the majority of the, the employees to, uh, and then once you get that amount, that union has to be recognized. And there's no anti, well, there is an anti-union campaign. As soon as they hear about you, they try to do it. So uh, I think one of the most important things I wanna say is, in union organizing, you should assume that they are going to try to clobber you. They're going to come up with every piece of dirt they can have on that individual union, on individuals, and run it at you. And if you do the preparation, which is called in union organizing inoculation before pain becomes public, it's discussed in detail, boring three months before the election, it's very hard for the company to make an issue of it the week before the election. And if union corruption is talked about, where we expose everything ourselves early on, then it is extremely hard for the company to try to, to come up and say corruption. Everybody says, oh yeah, we know about that. The organizer told us all of that. We got the paperwork on that. What do you and it totally frustrates the union busters. When but in this campaign, they were, able, they were able to pick the timing of when the issues were discussed. If they control the timing, and it, if the union's doing the organizing, we should control the timing. And we have the ability to do it if we do a process which is called inoculation, which is letting people know all of the downsides of the union. And and talking about that together, uh, working together, you can make a difference in your workplace. Not that a union representative will save you. Workers don't want a savior. They want the ability to have some sort of power and influence over their lives at work. We spend the uh, over well over 50% of our working hours. A lot, most workers don't work a 40-hour week. They work a lot more. Absolutely. And they would like some sort of some sort of control of long-term adult workers understand that and they they have a respect for themselves they put up with a lot of crap from the company so they know what they're used to doing but um people will stand up if you give them if you emphasize building organizations and don't emphasize public relations let's end it right there danny okay. fetante <laughs> Former union organizer, former head of several organizations. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right, my friend. Uh, we know when we have these subjects, where to go. Thank you very much, Danny. Thank you, Egberto. We spend a lot of time. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed uh, talking to Danny. We did this live on Saturday, and then I cleaned it up and then put it out there. 
I haven't gone to my to my peeps yet, so all I want to say is th- those of you who are online right now, please consider, or on YouTube, please consider hitting that join button and becoming a part of our PDR Posse headed by Bridge MCP. Please consider also getting our mug. If you take a look at our screen right now, you'll see that mug that was designed by our one and only Bridge MCP. Please consider getting that mug. How can you get that mug? You can get that mug at that link that I showed down below. So please go ahead and consider it. If you don't see that join button on YouTube or if you are not on YouTube, please consider going ahead and getting it right here. That is politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. You can also support the program by going to politicsandright.com slash Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or you can support us via PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. If you want to get our book, the book that you see on the screen right now, it's worth it, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Consider getting it at Amazon, but if you want, oops, I put the wrong thing in there. If you want to get it at Amazon, please go ahead and get it at the link that I just placed in there, or... You can forego the middle person by going to politicsandright.com slash store where you can also get our t-shirts, our all our books and mugs, everything, you name it, you get it. But please uh, support us in whatever way you can. Let's get to the to the store, to the to the to the map. All right, to the messages. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. Michael Rudnan, welcome aboard. E2247, welcome aboard. Of course, there is uh Michael Rudnan, let's see, I think I saw Mike Sisak. Union leaders only help themselves, not their members. Not true. If it weren't for unions, we'd have no middle class. I think we need to learn our history. It's important, uh, Mike. Don't let the, the, the misinformation fool you from our plutocracy. They don't want unions, but they keep unions for themselves. Eric Hayes, green union jobs are the future of for unions, and I think that is what they're telling Uh, the fired pipeline workers. Well, eventually we will get off of oil. Carl Cox, companies work together to shaft workers, whether they are members or unions or not. Yes, there is corruption by some union bosses, no doubt. However, politicians and corporations are a lot more crooked. That goes without saying. You're absolutely right, Carl Cox. Mike Sisek says, Bridge, the best thing to have is a lot of competitive companies people can work for, which makes the companies compete compete for employees Raising pay and benefits. Um, that you see, you you assume that capitalism works. I think I can prove from a mathematical standpoint that capitalism is a failure, and the reason it's a failure is because of the mathematical formula under which it's governed. Everything that we do, there's a mathematical construct, and the mathematical f- construct for capitalism means that it creates inequality. That's by design, not what I'm saying. It's just the math. Uh, let's see. Uh, Bruce Pollard, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. I think I saluted Eric Hayes. Lee Grant, unions have a reputation and history of corruption. I can see why workers would be skeptical. And what about corporations? Which ones are more corrupt, unions or corporations? Please think about that statement. Very important. We want to, be, we want to give our folks good stuff. Almost sound like if people don't like working at a place, they can just leave the job. Last I checked, people are able to leave jobs if they wish. Hmm. You have not really followed what I talked about when it comes to antiseptic slavery. But then again, it shows its evidence 
through many of us right here. Listen, when you have lived in a right-to-work state, you feel like you have no power because you don't. When you organize, you're scared of losing your job and probably the highest-paying job you ever had along the best benefits you've ever had. So I'm surprised. I'm not surprised it failed. It's conditioning of a slave mindset. Wow. Paul, we think alike, brother. You're absolutely right. Carl Cox, the top 1% has been taking $2.5 trillion every year from the bottom 90% for decades. And when you understand that that is a definition of capitalism, you got it. Chronic capitalism, American-style capitalism, rewards the top 1%. Parasites who don't make America run smoothly in terms of wealth and damages destroys the bottom 90% in terms of wealth. Wow, I got the smartest people around, you know. Smartest people around, smartest people around. Anyway, folks, we got to get out of here. I thank you so kindly for spending this time with me. I could not do this without you. You guys make who and what Politics Done Right is not only here on air, not only here on the internet, not only on my blogs, because it's all yours, but you make things happen. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.